0: Good afternoon, good evening, morning, and welcome to Uplift, uplifting conversations that set your heart on fire. Today we're going to talk about teenagers. I've been one, I'm sure you've been one. Come and join the show. My name is Sarah Wade. I'm an art therapist, social media coach, and all-around amazing human. <laughs> We've got a, another amazing human joining us from Calgary, Canada. As always, my
1: co-host, Mr. Neil Frussell. Welcome. Hello. I'm really excited today because I would actually, I think my parents should have actually taken and learned all about these conversations. They probably wouldn't have had so many issues with little old war
0: goodness me I can't imagine that and joining us from Wagga Wagga in New South Wales we've got the amazing intelligent Miss Sally Lane. thanks for joining us today
2: thanks for having me on the show guys what a thrill to be here
0: pleasure now Sally has got an amazing history she's spent 22 years in international schools helping people in other countries and has come back to Australia which we warmly welcome so I'd love you to sort of lean into that a little if you wouldn't mind
2: Sure. So um, actually, to, it's been a, a fascinating journey. Um, I sort of look back and think, you know, wow, how did that even happen? But, <laughs> and, and I've been, you know, I've been on the journey. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I it actually started the whole this whole Asia thing started in, in middle school um, because the school that I went to in Melbourne, um, it was compulsory to learn Chinese. And the school um, was one of the pioneer schools in Australia that started teaching Chinese way back in like 1970 or something. So, yeah, one of the several uh, private schools in Melbourne that started teaching Chinese in the 60s and early 70s um, because of the history of Chinese in Australia. So yeah, we because we uh, Chinese came out to Australia not long, maybe 30, uh, 40, 50 years after what you know uh european settlement of australia so um we there was in the gold rush you know a little bit like how many of the chinese ended up moving to california same thing here but when the chinese stayed and became very much part a a strong part of our merchant class in australia so there's a huge history there and a lot of people don't even realize because they say why why would you learn chinese and of course it was you know in those days in the in the early 1980s but don't do the math on that um, <laughs> um, <laughs> when, I, when i started learning chinese so it was you know fast and people are like why, why? And, and you know really the question is why not um, learn chinese um, especially given how you know the prominent china is now on the world stage but um, I asked my dad a few years ago, what, what on earth prompted you to think that it might be a good idea for me to learn Chinese because I actually selected the school um, because of that opportunity. And he said, well, just given the population, I thought it might be useful for your future. And he didn't realize that <laughs> nor did I at the time that I'd really yeah. enjoy learning. And we moved away from the city when I was uh, in, in uh, starting high school. So I couldn't continue and I really missed learning languages. So I decided that um, even though uh, during my teen years I thought I might end up being a vet at one point, I wanted to be a veterinarian because I loved animals, um, but then I, I really thought about what did I want and I and I liked the idea of travel and seeing some of the world. So I thought maybe if I do languages or, you know, a language at university that might, um, you know, give me more options. So I decided to major in Chinese um, language, history and culture, and I did a sub-major in international politics, thinking that I might get into foreign affairs when I was finished, which didn't happen. Oh. Um, <laughs> surprisingly enough, I got a teaching scholarship with my state government um, and because of the Australian shift in foreign policy. Back, back in the day, in the eighties and nineties, to really focus on our own neighbourhood, in, in given that we're part of Southeast Asia, um, you know, yeah. instead of just holding hands with Big Brother America and you know holding onto the apron strings of Mother England, we needed to really refocus our policy here in you know in, in the Southeast Asian region, um, and and looking at you know obviously you know in in Asia and Southeast Asia is where huge majority of the population in the world is based so why not you know (laughs) um we better start looking in our own backyard and so yeah that's how my my career actually got boosted quite quickly when I started I I became a teacher um and started teaching Chinese um and I ended up getting early leadership opportunities because of you know of this sort of uh, promotion of Asian languages that was happening in the 90s from the gov- you know, China, uh, from the Australian government. So, yeah, and, and having had spent some time in China, spent a year, first of all, as part of my degree in the early 90s when it was just opening up, having lots of crazy adventures and things <laughs> running around in China with um, several of my classmates from Australia. And then, yeah, and then came back and, and finished university, did my teaching degree and, and you know, Went in thinking, oh, I'd probably just teach for a few years, um, finish my scholarship, you know, agreement, and then get a real job. Quote yes. you know? <laughs> Yeah. You know. How and, that work
1: out for you, that real yeah, really job? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, I, as it happened, I really loved teaching. And um, in particular, I loved teaching Chinese because it was so different. You know, I used to have a lot of kids who'd be like, oh, you know, hey, miss, what are we going to learn this for? We'll never going there, you know, like <laughs> sort of, you know, negative reactions. But mm-hmm. over time, they they really, well, you know, I tried to help them to be able to just enjoy the experience. You know, even if it wasn't their favorite thing or they had no intention of continuing on, why not just enjoy and and you know have a bit of fun while you know while you have this opportunity to learn so yeah so that's that's how that all came and so you know for many many years I was able to tell people that I get paid to do what I love um you know so it was that's just beautiful right um and yeah so I, I ended up you know moving overseas like I heard about this thing called international schools I was like well I hadn't heard of those before like that sounds pretty cool um bumped into a woman, in fact, she was standing in front of me in the immigration line at Shanghai Airport one time and uh, we just got chatting and she said that she was working in an international school in Shanghai and I I sort of asked a few questions and thought, wow, what a cool idea. Um, So, yeah, after teaching. 22
0: years into it too, wow.
2: Well, 21, (laughs) yeah, working, but, you know, and plus the one year at university. So, yeah, uh, who knew that would happen? You know, I went for a couple of years and thinking oh well I'll go and see what this is like and you know and just never came back for a long time (laughs) yeah (laughs) um obviously come home regularly and see the family but I was you know um yeah just really loved it and um it just became I don't know just a it was a, a great adventure every day you know you can imagine um and with this face too, it was it was quite funny being a Chinese language teacher in China and, you know, being in fact the head of the Chinese program in a number of schools in China, um, you know, parents would sort of walk in and go, oh, sorry, and close the door and then come back a minute later going, are you Lin Laoshu? And I'd be like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> 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 the face the didn't match the job, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. One of my students actually, one of my class, had a great class of students uh, at one point in Beijing and uh, middle school kids. So they're sort of about, you know, 12, 13, 14. And <laughs> one of the kids came in and said they watched a James Bond movie over the weekend and and then he said, you know, Lin Lashu, you're like you're like a secret agent, you know, Chinese language teacher. <laughs> you're undercover. <laughs> so they christened me 008, the undercover Chinese language teacher. <laughs>
0: so you're 008 you're having fun you're helping kids to expand their minds and to really just collaborate with other kids and potentially in other schools or other languages what a brilliant thing to to do for them as someone whose face didn't match (laughs) you know what people thought well did you find any hiccups that were along the way that were common when you came back to australia to teach chinese
2: Um, yeah, well, I actually, I, I only did a small project last year for uh, my state department of education and it was an interesting outcome, um, you know, trying to offer Chinese to rural kids. Um, it was a little bit too far removed, I think for, for their daily needs, you know, it's really, it was really interesting. Um, I know the benefits, you know, of, of learning another language and, and there's plenty of research about it, um. But it was just, it, it was hard and on the back of COVID as well um, with, you know, <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like hmm, an interesting situation. So I really haven't done much teaching um, back here, but I am interested in facilitating learning. So I'm, uh, you know, starting to um, get involved in uh, with some of the Chinese teaching groups here and um, <clears throat> I'm going to be keynoting later in the year and things like that. So, yeah, it's, um, it's a really interesting um situation so for me one of the things that I struggle with is having worked in one of the best schools in the world I worked at Singapore American School for six years and I started teaching in high school um and I retrained myself really I mean and you know had supportive colleagues to work with as well but um in in learning how to teach for proficiency and it, it really um in, in learning about language proficiency and how language works and how we build our language skills, you know, first of all, our mother tongue and then, you know, our native first language and then uh, secondly, in you know, in adding on a foreign language. So it really helped me to understand better how to build language skills for students um, and language skills actually also related to our development. So even in, in our first language, Um, it's related to our age and stage of development so you know as we know the young kiddos it's sort of imprint period up to seven years old right so and they're also very imaginative and you know have no you know no understanding about you know what's real and what's not so you know and so you know santa and the easter bunny and the tooth fairy and all those things are you know eminently possible for them um you know and we'd have to keep an eye on them so that they don't try things like my younger brothers did, like jumping off the roof, thinking that they might fly. Um, (laughs) Luckily there was a pool underneath, but yeah. um, (laughs) You know, I'm sure there's plenty of parents that have had, you know, headaches from these sort of imaginations that we have as, as young people. Um, Yeah. So it's sort of language develops as we develop. So we start with small things and, and, you know, younger children are not, um, they're very concrete with their thinking and with, you know, what they talk about and that sort of thing. They don't have a sense of being abstract until they're just into their early teens, you know, so that that shifts and their language development shifts with it when they can talk about things a bit more abstractly and think about things more abstractly. Um, and so, yeah, so it, this, yeah,
1: go this ahead. is a great segue, Tali. So you came back, and then you've, you've you finally decided you, you're going to grow up and you're going to do something, and all of a sudden you're you're teaching teens, which perceived by for many, is the toughest combat job out there. Most people would sooner go to war than than tangle with their their teenage child, and you want to teach people and be empower people to communicate with their teens when I think a lot of parents just hope they don't kill themselves between their teen years and then they outgrow it and become a decent human being at the far end. (laughs) What in the world made you decide that you wanted to tackle teens?
2: yeah well a uh, great point um you know I often say to parents uh, I I actually don't have my own kids which I think may, you know may in some in some ways makes it easier and I also have you know I can bring the focus I'm not dealing with them at home myself you know so when I work with my teen clients they are my focus you know which is which is you know really a, a, a great gift for me as well but um I you know working with With teens has been something I've always enjoyed um because it of the opportunity to connect you don't always connect with every single one of them deeply but you know when you when they can are able to connect with you and you can speak to them on their level meet them where they are then it really does open up um a lot of uh, you know a lot of possibility in terms of what they're willing to to take on, they will. They'll, you know, and as we all know from our own experiences at school, you'll follow and you'll learn more with a teacher that you connect with. You'll follow and you learn more from, you know, a, a coach um, or a mentor or you know someone in your life that you that you're close with or that you feel, you know, that you can rely on and trust them and be open with. So it's really important that that we take that on. But what what motivated me. Um, coming back to Australia I, I came back during the pandemic which was really interesting because I basically had to bust my way back into my own country because <laughs> Australia was really shut down during the pandemic so that was uh, an, a very stressful and rather interesting experience that I hope I don't have to repeat in the future um, but um, what my dad started needing a bit of extra help as he's getting older he's aging Um and but we are None of us here are aging.
1: No, 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 nope, no. Nope, nope,
2: nope. nope, He's not just an Still a teenager. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know about everyone else, but I'm very young inside. <laughs> um but yeah so I just decided that I you know it it was time to you know family first so I came home we lost mum a few years ago so it was time to think about all right what am I going to do and then I I took six months off which was lovely to have a little bit of a a chance to (laughs) relax and you know get my feet back on the ground and get myself repatriated in that sense and go through all of the reverse culture shock and things that happen which has ended up being slightly (laughs) delayed because lockdowns. Um but, you know, um yeah, not not a problem. We could get we could get to within our with not that they actually ended up making a five kilometer radius, but I was busy measuring, right? From home we could get to Bunnings, which is a big hardware store here. So we could get all the things we needed to be doing renovations at home. Um, you know, we could get to the grocery store, <laughs> you know, and 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 the liquor store. So we are all good. Like it was fine. Like happy to be. <laughs> <laughs> just locked down doing some things at home having my time off you know was like oh my goodness luckily um but yeah not so pleasant for many others um but yeah so, so I how how think- is
1: repatriating to all of the Aussie slang
2: mm. well i've as you can clearly hear i've got my australian accent back but you know when i was working overseas the brits would ask me if i was american and the americans would ask me if i was british and i'd be like no you're all wrong you know i'm an aussie so <laughs> um and even in china funnily enough i would often be asked if i'm chinese so yeah um because there are minority peoples out in the west in particular that are of russian sort of background so they look very turkic and when i had longer hair um i you know like i really could have blended in um so yeah and because i spoke Pretty good chinese so people would be like are you chinese i'd be like no <laughs> um and you know when but when i was a student back in the day i used to tell them that i was you know from from out west and and you know so i could get local price instead of paying tourist price. <laughs>
0: um, I love but, yeah.
2: <laughs> you know and a lot of t- singapore taxi drivers would be asking like you know how come you know how come your chinese is better than most singaporeans um, you know, because I have a nice northern academic sort of Chinese accent when I speak, so yeah it's it's interesting um to you know where being in a situation where you don't blend in with everybody on the street mm-hmm. and yet can be you know kind of kind of going between yeah. my my Chinese friends thought for a long time, and one day one of them came came in, <laughs> that was a colleague that I was working with comes rushing into the office she goes. I know what we can call you because we would be talking about how Chinese people who uh, spend a lot of time in, in Western countries like, you know, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the US, England are called bananas because they have sort of the, you know, Western, you know, culture, but then, then they're Asian skin. Well, then my Chinese friends christened me an egg. They said I'm white on the outside, but I have a yellow heart. <laughs> So I thought that was <laughs> And then I spent so long there, now I'm just scrambled, you know, like all mixed up together. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it's uh, it was just uh, one of the things that I loved about having, you know, the language was the access to, a deeper access to people and to the culture than is available if you're only coming at it, you know, through English. So it was mm. really amazing. And. It's the same thing, um, same thing but different, you know, in all the work that I've done academically. One of the reasons why I decided, Neil, from your earlier question, um, to, to work with teens in terms of coaching. I started coaching my coaching business last year and I was working with adults um, and, you know, building confidence and, um, and you know, and, and helping people who were interested in moving out of, say, full-time work and, you know, doing, setting up their own business as I have done. So, you know, it's, as we know, we sort of tend to coach on things that are familiar from our background, our strengths and things like that. So I was like, okay, well, that's cool. Let's do that. And, you know, it was sort of starting to pick up. And then I got to Christmas last year and I, uh, you know, had a little bit of reflection time as you sometimes do over Christmas, New Year. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to miss working with kids. And that is such a strength and such an amazing um, you know, almost three decades that you know that I've spent, you know, invested in working with with kids and and in teens, young young. I've taught you know from four year old right through to eighteen year olds in high school, but you know, and and obviously adults as well through teacher training. But I just really thought there's a lot of coaching available for adults, you know, we everywhere you're going now you're seeing it scrolling on the internet, you know, and and there's, you know, all of the big weeks like, you know, Tony Robbins and Co. and you know and, and everyone every every adult has access to something and quite easily. But not every you know teenager has that available to them. So there's, you know, and there's also there's a lot of people out there who are coaching and not necessarily, you know, well trained or doing it well, you know, so it's just a real commitment of mine to bring everything that I've learned through my international school experience, you know, in the in 20-plus the years to what I'm doing now as a coach um, because, you know, A, I, I love working with kids, that's one thing, but I have all of this amazing training and experience and I've worked with some bigwig, some really great people, you know. So I, I just I just thought I need to distill everything that I've got that I've been trained in, that I you know, the the experiences that I have been given, you know, on the on the wall behind me. I've got, you know, my masters in education. And and but, you know, that's that's one thing to have to have a masters in education leadership. But what, you know, how can I distill that for teenagers? Because we tend to treat kiddos, particularly teenagers, they're in that sort of grey period. They're not adults yet. They're still underage. They're still, you know, mostly usually under their parents' roof. They have to, you know, do what they're told at school. They have to do what they're told at home. And yet they're trying to figure out who they are as, as, you know, young people as well. So their Mm -hmm. lives are now, but we treat it like their lives, and teachers teach them like their lives are, you know, when you graduate from high school. And then they get to university. When you graduate from university, one day you'll have a job, you know, with a a nameplate on the door and a a name card to give people. And it's like, no, their lives are now, not one day when they get a job, you know, or graduate Mm -hmm. from something. So there's this sort of... And that's such
1: an old paradigm right now because the kids, the teenagers are in such an influx of what they could do because certain parents are still rooted in... You can, you have to get a job, and now you're having to deal with a teenager who sees opportunities where there wasn't before, like the internet or on on, on online wherever. So you're having to, um, I suspect, you're having to have powerful conversations with the teen and the the per, the parent units at the same time or at least separate so that you can explain it in different ways to the, because we both, we all learn to communicate in different ways.
2: That's true. And the communication really, it's the key to everything, isn't it? We want, you know, um, and many parents notice, you know, they, they they lose that cute cuddliness that they have with their kids and you know, when they're sort of up to about ten eleven years old and then suddenly they it, it's it's not so cool to be cute and cuddly with mum and dad. So they there there becomes this little bit of a yeah. distance, you know. And they go from these kids who, you know, come home from school and tell you everything, this and that, no, no, and then they're coming home and you go, How was school? Good. What did you do today? Nothing. Yeah. and they just become yeah, like one way syllabic you know like well, yeah fine but you know <laughs> um right. but, you know that's that's the conversation with the teenager you know the one-sided um so they're they but there's skills like communication is the skill right um and we can we can learn that and a lot of parents you know a lot of, a lot of parents are working a lot of parents would be in the environments where we you know we have meetings we have norms we have norms you know in meetings where we have we've have set out our expectations but who has actually actively cre- created family norms so they're expe- created with their kids there's a lot of parents who'll tell their kids what they expect but it's not necessarily a two-way thing so you know how about sitting down and creating family norms with your kids where you have, you know, parents get to say what they hope to see and when what their expectations are. Kids also get to have a say in what that might look like and co-creating the family norms, you know, of, of, of behaviour and expectations. Like how cool would that Key be? Keywords,
0: they're co-creating, hey? That's so, yeah. so empowering for that child and the parent. I love that you're helping to co-create for them. What is yeah. one of those things that often... Maybe they miss. Totally. That
2: you're helping and, to you with. Know, that's right. And it's not, you know, it's not like they suddenly turn 18 and they just can be ready to step out into the world and know how to do things. They, they still need that guidance. But if we start them earlier having a sense of contribution and being able to, rather than just passively kind of in the back seat, literally, while the parents are driving, you're in the back seat, you know, just follow along. If we allow them to take on, you know, guided responsibility where, you know, and and given in in small increments um, as they, you know, are able to take on responsibility and show that they're dealing with it well and, you know, able to build it up over time. Like it's, it it really does take a lot of intention and, you know, and the biggest thing, as we know, um, kids, it's not what we say that has the biggest impact. It's what we do. You know, so the adults in the room, no matter who they are, it, you know, if this, these things tend to get very much in the way of communication these days, it's sort of between us and them, you know. So if if parents are home and, yes, okay, often there's work to be done as well for parents as well as kids doing homework, but if we're scrolling and not being mindful of what we're actually, you know, modelling, then then you can't say to your kids, well, you shouldn't be spending so much time on your iPad, or you shouldn't be doing this, shouldn't be doing that. It's not your words that matter, it's the modeling. And we really need to be that, that you know, like not just telling kids what they should be doing, it's modeling for them. And, you know, like, yeah, Sarah, we used that word before co-creating, you know, what what we can be doing and how that might look for, for each, you know, each family, because it's going to, there's different needs in different families. So what does that look like and when do we have time you know when do you know Sunday night might be by agreement you know scroll and watch telly night you know and have dinner on the couch or something on the sofa who knows but you know what I mean like it it really it it might look different in all families but how do we model that as well and be really mindful
1: yeah one of my friends has got uh, twins and The family was a little bit out of control. They were having a hard time. The kids were um, not overly rebellious, but they were rebellious and they chose to bring in family time on Sunday nights and you were home Sunday night, no matter what. And there was no, at the dinner table, there was no cell phones. And it was, it started just with a, a family dinner on a Sunday night. And then, then it moved to a game, like uh, a family game. And my, my friend that uh, is, uh, JT is the father, he hates games, board games, hates it. But Sunday night, he's just like, okay, we're playing games. And because yeah. his kids love
2: it. Yeah. And what a great way to connect. You know, you're doing something, playing a game together doing the doing you know and oh by the by I happen to be talking and sharing and chatting you know while you're playing games uh, like it's a lovely way to connect it really is I miss those days too when when and, you know we in, in uh, all the years I've been away often would have like game nights or board game nights with friends like just for
0: fun you know like that's what you do so yeah yeah so great it's a Um, wonderful thing isn't it to do those games and to have those conversations because so much comes up in those moments you know if you sat down with your teenager or child or whatever age not as much comes out as if you're in a more casual kind of situation like playing games is that fair to say for you guys too well I've noticed it with my six-year-old yes yeah yeah. And it's
2: it's not you know in the spotlight. Then it's not like they're being grilled. You're just sharing and chatting, right? So it's a different. There's a, it's like a triangulation, right? There's sort of you know parents and siblings, you know, and and kid kid or kids, and then the game. So there's sort of this triangulation of something to be doing outside of just talking, and you may be feeling awkward because you know it's not cool to talk to parents anymore. <laughs>
0: Uh (laughs) One of the things that I like about games too is that, you know, you can talk about the characters, you know, what would this character do in this situation or this character do in that situation? And it really helps to sort of have those light bulb moments. Uh, It's a beautiful thing to sort of go down that exploring stage, especially I think it's great for imagination and also communication, as we've mentioned several times now. Speaking of communication... Um, my daughter goes to a school where they have different kinds of support, particularly for the kids who sort of might be falling between the cracks. And I'm curious to know, Sally, what's your experience with how you're working currently? Are you working more with the kids between the cracks or, or more at the other end of the spectrum?
2: Yeah, great question. Thanks, Sarah. Um, I do have a couple of um, kiddos who um, are those sort of at-risk kids who have struggled you know um, academically or socially um, but my main focus is working mm-hmm. with um, what what I term as high achieving teens and what does that mean it's sort of the the good kids who you know are, are doing well you know they may not be the top kids um, but they're doing well at school they do what you know you can you know reliable sort of kids who are getting by um, maybe feel a bit challenged here and there and oftentimes I, I don't know about you but so many times I felt over the years, uh, and I wished that somebody could have done it for me back in the day as well, is just, you just want to hand them a big bucket of confidence and go, like, here you go, <laughs> like just take this and you'll be fine, um, you know, and unfortunately it's not that easy, but there are many things that we can do to structure things such that they get some, you know, quick and easy wins, build up their own self-confidence and then start taking on, you know, slightly more challenging things over time. But communication is is a big one, and for parents, you know, and, and educators out there, it's really about um, being mindful of asking open ended questions. So, um, you know, and the same, it's actually the same for the kids. It's what I always encourage them to do as well, to be practicing their listening, so we're not just listening to respond. Like you're saying something, oh, let me think about what I'm going to say back. It just actually. <laughs> just yeah exactly just listening um active listening and and practicing that with their friends you know and and becoming a good listener um but parents for parents it's really important that we become good listeners and suspend judgment because there's always going to be judgment and expectations there and we need to get really clear. And oftentimes those, it's like, it's like the glasses, right? The judgments and expectations that are there, it's like a filter that we but we've forgotten that it's there. So we don't see it anymore. It's just there. And so we're looking at our kids through the lens of expectations, like and and not realizing. Um, and so therefore if those expectations aren't being met, judgments arise. And, and it just gets in the way of the communication and the connection that we want to build because, you know, then the kids are feeling judged so they're backing away further and further each time. And if we can suspend our judgement and be the people who will be there, let, the, let you know, find ways to let our kids know that we will be there no matter what, you know, that they can come to us, you know, as the adults in the room, um, you know, um, Building, you know, that level of rapport with my clients takes a little bit of time because sometimes they don't know me at all. But that, you know, you they you want to know that they're, they they want to know that you're on their team. Um, you know, and whilst it's the job of a coach, you know, and like if you if they're playing basketball, the coach needs to tell them how they should be playing the game and give them some judgment. Like, Sarah, you did great today. Da-da-da-da. Neil, I loved your co- collaboration in the team, passing, whatever, whatever. They're giving those sort of that sort of judgment specific to the skills of the game but not to the Mm -hmm. like not to the kid right so they're not judging the kid unless you know because sometimes a coach has to call it on behaviors and things like that but it's usually around the skills of the game so we can also do that too with the kids is is give them feedback on the things that they're doing well um you know and and what you appreciate about them and making an effort to because as human beings we're often quite negative and we don't realize it but we go to the negative very easily so focusing back on what can i give as feedback that's positive that's really uplifting now that we're on the uplift show um you know and really you know giving that affirmations of on the things even if it's one small thing even the naughtiest kid in the class i could always find something to you know to affirm and acknowledge because you know rather than always hammering on the negatives because you're just going to lose them and they'll shut down as well i
1: yes absolutely i also as an as a parent or in an adult i believe that as to build a rapport we need to show vulnerability and own up to our our children, our aunts, our I mean, our nephews, our nieces, and the ki- the children in it. And own up that yes, we've made the same mistakes. And it needs to be age appropriate. You need you know you need to be able to tell a twelve-year-old that yeah, I fell in love and yeah, it hurt. And you don't need to go into all any of the gory details, but they need to know that you you're a part of it. And so it, it helps build that, and it's, to me, it's all age appropriate. What how yeah. you respond with them?
2: Totally, yeah, so great.
0: It is one of the yeah. things that I love doing, whether it's with my daughter or other kids. Is you know saying, "Hey, you did a great job at X, Y, or Z. Are you proud of yourself?" And really, the look on their face that they light up, and you can just see them swelling with joy, like you really care actually, I am proud of myself because I did X, Y, and Z, and it's just a wonderful way to see them light up. And what I've noticed is that when you do that, then they actually start doing that with their friends too. Like, you did a really good job. You know, somebody picked on you. You did a really good job. You spelt that word or whatever it was. That helps to support them to communicate with others, and it's a win-win-win for everybody. Um, Sally, I'm yeah. sure you've seen that several times before. Um, would you, how would you expand upon that?
2: Um, yeah, so it's always interesting because if we ask questions, you know, when, <laughs> in those moments when things perhaps don't go the way that uh, we would hope, you know, if you say to kids, what were you thinking? They're probably going to say nothing or I wasn't, you know, and it's actually <laughs> not to. It's not intended to wind the adults in the room up, whether it's the parents or the teachers. It's not intended to wind you up. It's really true. Like they weren't thinking and they probably didn't think of anything. They just did that thing because they don't have their prefrontal cortex fully developed yet. They haven't got the logical thinking. They're very emotional driven. You know, they just react to things the way that they react to things. And it and it really takes them a little time and a lot of support and encouragement to learn how to mm-hmm. Take a breath before you know, and, and to pause or to think about what's going to come out of their mouth or what they're, you know, going to do next before their hand flies out and punches their friend or whatever, you know. So, but he um, deserved it, right. he <laughs> and she said, Yeah, um, and but they don't have that rationality, you know, and and asking a, a really young person to think about others is not it's it's kind of like an alien concept to them. You know, they're not able to really think about others. They're more about, you know, what's happening for them and their immediate, you know, needs. So, yeah, so that's a, a really a big thing to keep in mind. So, yeah, I, and bringing curiosity. Um, I, I was interviewing some um, heads of schools recently who are heads of schools, big schools in Europe, um, you know, I reached out and sort of had interviewed them about, future ready skills, something called future ready skills, but um, also um, this, you know, what they're seeing from their platforms, you know, they obviously work from very large educational platforms and they were kind enough to um, to spend a little bit of time chatting with me about that. And, you know, the real theme is, as I was saying before, is to bring curiosity and we want to be encouraging our kiddos to bring curiosity. Um, and I don't just mean like about looking up stuff on Google. It's about being curious about the world, being curious about other people, um, being curious about, you know, why, why are things the way they are and suspending judgment. So, you know, if we can suspend that judgment, just be open and be curious and and have those conversations. And when they say why, you know, don't just, Try and give them an answer. Um, ask them, well, why do you think? You know, yeah. and
0: what do you think? Have, One of my favorite questions, <laughs> right?
2: Have you thought about, you know, instead of giving them an answer, what about this as a, a p- potential possibility? What do you think about that? You know, we we tend to be, you know, the adults in you know in Chinese, the word for teacher is lao shu, which means old master. So, you know, I'm the keeper of knowledge and I shall impart my knowledge to you. That's been the traditional way of education for a a long time, but it's shifting. Um, The good schools, the good educators, the front runners are shifting things now and and it's becoming about building competencies, the skills skills and the skill sets that we need to develop over time. So, you know, public speaking, you know, at school for a five-year-old, what does that look like? It means being able to say, you know, uh, you know, share their ideas to the teacher or in front of the class, being willing to speak up, you know. And then it looks very different for a ten-year-old and then a fifteen-year-old, and obviously a twenty-five-year-old in a working environment. So, that, that it's but it's a skill set that builds up over time. There's a whole continuum. So we need to look at where we are on the continuum. It's not about right or wrong anymore. We've got to move beyond that. It's about you know doing doing what works, but also noticing the skills continuum. Where am I? What do I need to keep improving? And, you know, and, and, and acknowledging where, you know, all of the skills that I've got to be where I am now. So interestingly enough, I asked one of my clients recently, um, about it was about her day at school. I said, "Oh, what you know, what went well?" And she said, "Oh, you know, this and that." And and I stayed away from this other girl who's been harassing her a bit. You know, and just did this and I did that. Just really acknowledged her for all those things. And then I said, "What do you think you could do better next time? Is there anything that happened, you know, that you could do differently next time?" And she said, "Oh, I think I did good today." And she wasn't able to look because in her in her map of the world. Owning up to doing something differently or doing something, you know, in in a better way next time, having reflected, meant that she did something bad or wrong. So there's a whole world of conversation there for us to have around, you know, growth and development and what that looks like, Um, way beyond right and wrong. Yeah. So I'm getting
1: curious, Sally. In the green room we talked, that you had written or are working on a book? Aha.
2: Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Neil, for that little sedgeway. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I was a co-author of a book earlier this year. It's called Voices of Impact, and it's volume two. Um, recently, volume three has also been published. So um, it was, it well, as you would very well know, Neil, a bit, a, an amazing experience to become an author. Um, but um, my, and in these Voices of Impact, we're all sharing um, something of our own journey, how we've overcome some sort of adversity or challenges in our own lives to come to be doing what we're doing. So my story of adversity is um, having been uh, abused, um, the the worst kind of abuse that you can imagine uh, for a a little girl um, when I was quite young. And obviously that impacted my understanding of the world for a very long time until I was able to get older and then Start on my own journey of of figuring things out, um, and it really uh, one of the things that it impacted was trust. You know, being able to trust others. Um, it was a, a, a relative, not immediate family, but a relative, and who was someone who was trusted to be, you know, around our family. So that was that was a tough one. Um, and so when that happens, how do you have to be in the world? You've got to be strong. You've got to be smart you got to be capable and because you've got to be able to take care of yourself because you can't trust anybody. Right. And so I started realizing um, as I went through my teenage years, I, I got, I was fortunate enough to um, ha- be able to have, I had a pony when I was young and then as I got a bit older and a bit more competitive, I was able to graduate to what we call a Galloway, like a medium sized horse. <laughs> and, um, I really got into pony clubbing and, you know, local, the regional showing and that sort of thing and, um, you know, earned myself some champion riders, um, you know, champion in dressage, was able to compete at state level for dressage, you know, representing my pony club zone. Like I I loved it and it kept me very grounded uh, through what could have otherwise been quite tumultuous teenage years. Um, So that was my version of being a high achiever you know, um, I was also pretty strong academically, not not the best, not the smartest in, you know, in the class, but up there with the top kids. So I, you know, and fortunately, I had parents who were willing to allow me to take on, you know, to keep writing and keep competing, even into high school, because I promised them if they would let me do that, then I would manage my schoolwork. So that was the deal that we we had. Um, And I'm very grateful that they were able to support me in that way and not make me give up that one thing that I was so passionate about um, and if you'd have asked me you know as a teenager what do you want to be and you know I shared all this in my in my chapter what, what do you want to be when you grow up I would have told you oh, I want to go to the Olympics and ride dressage one day um, that was my big thing back you know back then yeah. and um, I you know so unfortunately when I went away to to university I had to sell my horse and you know, I um, I thought that, you know, that was all over. Packed up my, my all my trophies and my sashes and everything else and put them on a shelf in, in my parents' garage and off I went to university and to, you know, move into sort of, you know, gradually into adult life and all that. So I I always assumed that my Olympic dream was over, not to ever even realise that it might be possible to show up in another way. So um, while I was working in, <laughs> there's Cindy. Hey, Cindy. Um working in um, Beijing uh, through it was a friend of a friend, strange situation, I actually got invited to work as an interpreter and story fixer for the Australian television network, Network 7, covering the Beijing Olympics. So I got to go to the Olympics. Like I didn't know that my Olympic dream would come true just in
0: another day,
2: right? So, yeah, so it's all about Yeah, I
0: love that. Right. There's so many different ways that we can journey and to find our path. And like perfect example here, yeah. yeah. What is one of those memories then from that experience that you'd like to share with us?
2: Oh, so many. It was incredible. Um <laughs> Being right there at that moment, in like with all of the top athletes in the world, you know, um, all you know, all of the uh, you know, TV personalities. Um, not not that I actually knew many of the Australian TV personalities because I'd been in China eight years at that point. Um, so <laughs> um, you know, and I didn't know who they were. So I was, you know, my cameraman was laughing at me, going, You have how how do you not know these people? I'm going, Well, they're not famous in China, you know. <laughs> Um meanwhile, meanwhile, I had been on Chinese television and I had a pretty big audience as well. So people are like, don't they know who you are? And I'm going, no, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of funny as well. Um, but it was, it was just such an amazing opportunity. But the interesting thing to share is that I'd had a big story. I mean, teaching Chinese in China is kind of a, you know, it's, it's a bit of a claim to fame. But I had this big fat story that my Chinese isn't good enough my Chinese isn't good enough. So I'd never speak up very much other than in school, doing the school things, not a problem, you know, and obviously teaching my kids and that sort of thing. But I didn't want to speak up in public. And I, it really took um, me uh, taking on doing a, like a personal breakthrough program in China with Chinese, you know, participants and then it took me a few weeks and they were all curious about like who's this, you know, who's this whitey in the corner, like who's, who's sitting there, um, you know, what's she doing here kind of thing. And then eventually... I stood up one day and I said, look, I have this, you know, what, what we would call in coaching a limiting belief. Like I have this story that my Chinese isn't good enough and, you know, and therefore I just don't speak up. And, of course, they all laughed because there I was speaking in Chinese to tell them this in the first place. So, you know, it, it was just this real um, paradoxical situation, but a total limiting belief. And it really took um, something for me to give up that limiting belief. In order to be able to say yes to that opportunity, there's no way, even just you know, a year or two before the Olympics, I would have. If somebody had said, "Would you like to do this?" I'd be like, "Oh, no, uh, thanks for the opportunity, but no, my Chinese isn't good enough." You know, like I really would have been like that. And then, so fortunately, I had been through this experience to know that I could, you know, ap- you know, acknowledge that little fear and limiting belief that kind of rides around on the shoulder sometimes and goes, "Yeah, but." and you're like shut up get out of the way i'm doing this you know so (laughs) thanks for sharing go away um yeah so (laughs) it really is so powerful right and you know yeah just shifting even as a teacher getting to understand that the kids in my class aren't just pimply annoying young people you know who were at a certain stage of their life they are actually our future leaders and you know and and The kids that I work with in coaching, they're our future leaders and it doesn't matter whether they become, you know, whatever level that they work at and whatever they do in the future, they are the future leaders. You can be a leader in your family as, you know, as a housewife, you can be a leader of your country as the president or the prime minister. It's the same principles, just on a different scale, right? So, yeah, and, and we need our kids to understand that they can be leaders in their lives now as well while still following the rules, while still, you know, doing all the things that they that are expected of them at school and at home, but they can take leadership in their lives too. and And that is a massive shift. It also requires giving up some of those stories and limiting beliefs that we have about ourselves and kind of shifting them to the side and then doing things anyway.
0: Yeah. I so just is that looked one of those
1: it, that... <laughs> I just looked at the clock and I'm going, oh my goodness, how is this possible, Sally? You have a, you have a, you're going to be running a program. You've and you've run programs in the past, but what is it that you're going to be offering in the future for teens and parents?
2: Yeah, so um, I actually have um, what, you know, what I call my signature system. So I have a, a three-month program for kiddos based around, um, you know, communication, getting them to know their values and their strengths and, you know, how basically how they operate so that they can be more responsible for, you know, the way that they work and the way that they like to work. Um, so it's a three-month program and if um, any um, any of my uh, – uh, well, the teens want to extend. The second tier is, is a leadership program. So first of all, we, we, we do the stuff dealing with, I me, my, and mine and my world. And then we work, you know, step out into looking at them in, you know, as, you know, a contributing member of home school society, that sort of thing. So, and how they can be, you know, having built the foundation of some communication skills and understandings of, how they work than what they're doing outside of themselves. So it really, um, it's a really great program. I'm so excited. I'm also looking at developing those for schools. So instead of just one-to-one, they'll be available in schools soon too. But um, in terms of the kids, that's one thing, but it's really hard, if you, you know, kids to be developing themselves. Hey, hello, hello there, Dre McLaughlin. Um, yeah, so developing themselves and, you know, making some breakthroughs and some headway and trying to change the way that they're doing things without the parents understanding what's happening. So we want to work with the parents as well. Um, because, you know, as we've been talking about a lot in the last hour, it's about how we're being um, that really influences how our kids can be as well. So, you know, if if we're, if we're our cup is full, um, it's really hard to, you know, be able to bring the sort of the generosity and, and the grace to situations when our kids are trying to press the buttons and, you know, we're really full up and it's, it's all happening. And so, yeah, it, it, it's really important to work with the parents as well and just have them um, being able to understand more effective ways of communicating and, and you know, connecting with the kids. Okay. I keep and hitting I the wrong
1: because... button the camera is right in front of the screen and i'm like ah <laughs> there we go <laughs> yeah so Thank you. before we start to really wrap it up i'd uh i'd love to uh to share with our our, uh, our uh, audience that if you're listening to this on replay you're seeing it live and you're seeing it on facebook We'd really love your support if you could jump on our YouTube channel. It has been the neglected and unloved child that it's we've just we've been so focused on on Facebook that we and we have this beautiful um, um, YouTube channel. So if you could go and join it, yeah, we would appreciate it. And you can go to join.uplift.show. Um yeah, it, it just needs a little love. And we would truly appreciate just a little love. Um, yeah, so thank you in advance. If you're drawn to, and if you don't want to, no worries. We'll still see you on Facebook. We will see you. I mean, we, you will hear us on replay in the podcast, iTunes, uh, iHeartRadio, the usual, the usual programs.
0: Absolutely, and yeah. we would love you to subscribe and, and have more fun with us. Oh, oh, I think there's been a lot of takeaways from today's show. Guys, we and Neil, Neil and I are both playing producer and swapping buttons around. My turn. <laughs> we would love to know um, what your takeaways have been, you know, how maybe you choose to communicate differently with your teenager or even yourself one of my personal takeaways is, is knowing where my child is at and how I can best support them with their development is is one of those things that I get to I get the opportunity to choose to do absolutely agree with you Cindy what an amazing program that Cindy has and we would love to know what your takeaways are so please drop us a comment in or if you've got any questions questions i'm sure sally would love to get back to you all the details have been coming across the screen all the show and i'm sure they're going to pop up again before we go but before we go final words guys how would you like to end the show what are your
2: takeaways i would like to invite everyone to connect with me on on facebook i do a lot of sharing there um i just find it's really convenient way of, of, you know, communicating and sharing out ideas and that sort of thing. So um, also email, the email's been there available, but yeah, connect on Facebook or just um, DM me, uh, any questions um, look out for a uh, high achieving teens uh, parent group coming soon on Facebook as well. Um, so yeah, lots of different ways uh, to keep connected. So yeah. And thank you too as well. Um, I love your show. I am a subscriber on YouTube um, and yes, uh, there's been so, so many amazing guests that you've had. and love these conversations um, and they are uplifting um because you know it's not all doom and gloom a lot of our teens these days are facing so much stress and worry they get a bit shut down you know because there's there's so much focus you know on the environment and this and that and all this the scariness of the future um what we need to be doing is encourage them to to understand that there is always new thinking that comes online, right? And they'll be the ones bringing the new thinking to solve all the problems that we're leaving for them. So, um, you know, like, so there, there will always be that, that you know, evolution of, of um, new ways of doing things, new thinking coming in such that we can evolve ourselves as human beings, but the world that they're, you know, living into as well. Um, and there's there's a lot of hope and a lot of amazing, um, you know, opportunities um, to be contributing to the future. So, yeah, you, you know, Sarah, your, your little one has, you know, an amazing future to live into. It's not all doom and gloom. So that's where we want to be encouraging them to look,
0: yeah. Oh, I love that. Thank and you, I love see. that he's added this amazing comment here. How good yeah. is it to be bilingual? Actually, let us know. If you do speak more than one language, let us know. Neil?
1: I I just want to leave people with follow your dreams. Sally had a dream of being in the Olympics. Well, she was at the Olympics and she was part of the Olympics. It just may not have been to her original vision, but she made it. So follow your dreams. Take chances, you know. Maybe not move across to China or or whatever, but live and fully embrace the life that you want to live and know that you're loved. And with that, I'll let Sarah take it away.
0: Oh, you guys are love. We love you. We appreciate every single one of you. Sally, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story with Neil and I and everybody watching, whether that be live in replay. And, guys, whether you're watching live or in replay, we appreciate you too. I would like to to finish by just saying share your dream with others. Don't just hold it back. Let other people know that you're journeying in one direction or another, whether it's learning a new language or you're learning how to read or write or whatever that is, share that with people so you can all be on the same page. It's a beautiful thing that we can do to share the gift of knowledge and support with each other. So until next time we speak, go and support each other. Go have amazing, uplifting conversations. And we'll see you soon on Uplift. Take care.
1: Take care.